Hello, everyone. I am Chris Hyams, CEO of Indeed, and welcome to the next episode of Here to Help. At Indeed, our mission is to help people get jobs. This is what gets us out of bed in the morning and what keeps us going all day long. And what powers that mission is our people. Here to Help is a look at how experience, strength, and hope inspires people to want to help others. Uh, one of the biggest topics of conversation pretty much everywhere right now is the future of work. And more people are sharing more predictions about what the future holds than maybe ever before. With millions of people returning to offices around the world, how will the experiences of the past two years shape our relationships with each other? Even more importantly, what will these changes mean for our relationships with work itself? And for those of us fortunate enough to be in jobs that can be done remotely, what is an office really for? Like everyone else here at Indeed, we've spent the past couple of years digging into these questions. But from everything I've seen, heard, and read on the outside, I think we've come to some different conclusions. So I would sum up our conclusion as this. It is too early for conclusions. Put it another way, nobody knows anything. My guest today is Yeji Myung, Workplace Strategies Manager here at Indeed. Yeji and her team have been living and breathing these questions. And the implications of what it means to be planning ahead for real estate and workplace needs when we don't know what we're actually planning for. Her team has been stretching the notions of innovation and data-driven decision-making from the realm of product development into workplace strategy. I am very excited to have the opportunity to share our thinking with all of you today. Yeji, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you for having me, Chris. So let's start where we always start these conversations by asking, how are you doing today? I'm doing really well. Um, the weather's slightly starting to get warmer here in New York, slowly but surely. And um, just yesterday, my husband and I we were walking out and we stumbled. We ran into the middle of the Brooklyn half marathon that was happening. And it was actually really nice just to see all of the friends and family come out and cheer for, for the runners. And I think we really missed being in that type of environment since the pandemic. So yeah, going into the week in, in, in high spirits, really. So uh, let's talk about your role. You are a, a workplace strategies manager here in Indeed. That's a job title that that maybe um, might have sounded a little different a couple of years ago than it does now. Can can you talk a little bit about what your role is and how you help people get jobs? Definitely. Workplace strategy is um, one of those things that's a little bit hard to explain. I think most of my family still doesn't even know exactly what it is that I do. Um, in the context of our mission, I'll say that workplace strategy is um, we help is we help people who help people get jobs. And so to explain that a little bit better in um, workplace strategy, our team sits within that real estate team. And what the real estate team does is that they'll do everything from finding and leasing an office all the way to the design and the, the delivery of the spaces that employees come into. And so for workplace strategies, really what our focus is within that is to really make sure that the space that employees come into is very tailored and custom to them. We know that there's regional distinctions across all of our offices. There's different teams, different functions, and what employees need to be productive and happy in an environment tends to vary. So we do a lot of research and understanding of our employees to then create that, um, that very custom, again, solution for them. We're going to dig into the future for a lot of this conversation, but uh, part of the point of Here to Help for me is to 
get a little sense of where people come from and what they bring to these decisions that we're making today. So can you talk a little bit about uh, growing up and your experiences and where you lived? Sure. And um, that question of, you know, where are you from always gives me pause um, because it's a little bit of a longer story. Uh, so myself, I'm Korean. My parents are Korean, but I was actually born and raised in Guadalajara, which is a city in Mexico. And that's where I grew up for most of my childhood. Really great memories there. Um, fondest memories there, really growing up with my siblings. And that experience was really interesting, given the fact that I was, you know, the handful of a few Asians who who lived there. And in a way, I don't know if it's because I was younger, I actually wasn't as aware of, you know, what race or what background I'm from. And it wasn't until I moved to Irvine, California, which is a suburb in the U.S., um, which I, and I went to school with, which had about 40 percent Asian people. And that's where I first started to realize, oh, what what category or what bucket do I really fit into? And I, I don't think it was a negative. It was really just eye opening. It gave me an opportunity to learn more about my Korean culture, other Asian cultures, just the U.S., American culture in general. And so I, I think it's just really interesting just seeing those those different dynamics as I was growing up, really. So in in college, you discovered uh, landscape architecture and you thought at that point that your future would be working outside of uh, buildings. And uh, I, I know that you had some experiences with the New York City Department of Parks and Recreations working on parks and playgrounds in the five boroughs. Can, can you talk about how that impacted your your thinking and your ideas yeah definitely so landscape architecture is um, a really interesting profession for those who aren't too familiar it's essentially the design of anything that is outside of the face of a building so because it, it's so open-ended it's the scale of what you're working on tends to vary and because of that the challenges that you're trying to solve for tend to vary so landscape architecture can be anything from designing you know a small bench on the street all the way to community garden, to a park, to a master urban plan. And again, because of that scale, the way that you approach things has to be very different. And um, one of the last projects that really stuck with me that I was actually one of the last projects that I worked on as a landscape architect was with the New York City Department. And the premise of this project was different schools, high schools um, in the five boroughs in New York had submitted requests for funding for very specific challenges that they were facing at school. So as an example, there was one school in Brooklyn and they were located in a food desert, which means that they didn't have any access to fresh produce, any vegetables, um, fruits, things like that. And so what they wanted to take that funding with for was to create an indoor hydroponic garden so that the students could grow the produce themselves and actually not only feed themselves, but give some of that back to the community. So that was a very interesting perspective. And then um, another example that I'll just say is the one, um, another high school in Manhattan, which was actually located in the basement of another school, which was in in itself a very weird context. And they actually didn't have access to any outdoor space. There were no windows in the school. And so what they were wanting to take that funding for was to create an indoor Zen garden. So bring some of that outside in, in a way, and just allow for, for students, sorry, to have that ability to just step away and have a, a place of peace, really. So just seeing the, the drastic challenges that, um, it was just a very eye-opening experience for me coming first to New York and being part of this type of project and just seeing the, the I think, just the wide variety of um, discrepancies that exist, especially coming from Irvine, where a lot of that is kind of given, you know, having access to outdoor space and produce is something that we just take for granted. So, um, yeah, just a really great learning experience for me. So your next role was uh, a little different. You uh, began working for WeWork, 
in 2018. So can you talk about the experiences there and how that started to shape your thinking about workplace strategy and the role of community at work? Yep, definitely. And so working as a landscape architect, um, I loved all of, you know, being able to design and see the physical spaces be built. But what I was really interested in was that that human element. So how are, you know, users coming into the space? How are they occupying it? For what reason? And so that's why I transitioned over to workplace strategy and started working at WeWork. And what we did at WeWork as workplace strategists was that there would be um, a lot of external clients. So a lot of enterprise clients that would come to WeWork and say, I want to I want to be part of the WeWork community and have a WeWork like space, um, but one that's tailored to me. And so they, this is beyond you know the typical co-working spaces that most people are familiar with. And so a lot of our work actually um, had us going into different client sites, seeing all of their offices, trying to understand you know what are what are their business needs and their challenges. Um, we did a lot of research, so things like focus groups and interviews with leaders and employees just to try to understand as much as we could about what they, what you know, space really made sense for them, and then working with our in-house designers to create that solution. So for me, it was another learning experience, um, just being able to visit all of these sites and see offices that were you know, the traditional offices with private, large private offices and cubicles to others that were more open office and just everything in between and no two clients were the same, no challenge, no two um, clients had, were facing the same exact number of challenges. And so um, it gave me a snapshot of just really just all of the different variety that exists out there. So fast forward, you joined Indeed in January of 2020. Indeed was uh, in in the middle of an ongoing, uh, I don't know, 15 year long expansion, opening new offices, remodeling offices. It was all about uh, growth and supporting what had been over time a pretty well developed set of ideas about what we thought we needed in an office and how we were going to evolve and grow. And uh, less than two months later, then we sent 10,000 people home. And so can you talk about what what you thought your job was going to look like when you got here and then how you and your team responded as suddenly this became, as you know, everyone has been calling it, the world's largest work from home experiment and what that meant for, for you and the workplace strategy team? Yeah, definitely. And I'll, I'll actually share, obviously, my experience. I, I started during the, the pandemic and I even during the interview process, I actually didn't get that opportunity to come into offices, meet people in person and just get a sense of what that environment looks like. And I think for me, that was a new experience. That's something that historically, that's usually where I first get a sense of a company's culture, just seeing people collaborate and how they communicate and socialize and all of that. And so I came into it a little bit um, blind in that sense. But um, as far as my professional work, I, I did think that it was going to be very similar. Workplace strategy, just being external facing at WeWork, just bringing that knowledge and um, experience in-house and just thinking about how, how do we create the best experience for employees. But like you said, I think what the pandemic made us realize is that what we thought was going to be something very temporary actually became a permanent um, sort of impact on the workplace experience as a whole. And so it essentially had us throw the entire rule book out the window because all of the things that we had gathered up to date were now completely outdated. Um, when I first joined Indeed, the real estate team already had a ton of data on our offices, our employees, what really makes sense. We leveraged a lot of industry standards, meaning that we had knowledge on what's the right density of an office or what's the right ratio between employee to desk, 
what is the right number of conference rooms that um, you really need in an office to be able to function. And all of that is um, just, again, outdated. And, and we, we had to go back to the drawing board and try to figure out what is, what is it going to look like for um, in the future for employees that come into their office. So, um, yeah, we definitely had to pivot and adapt, I think, to the new, new environment. So if we can just dig in for a minute to, to some of what that pivot looked like. So we had existing offices and existing employees, but then we also had a set of projects that were in flight. And how, how did you change what you were doing and how you all were thinking about these, these projects? Yeah, definitely. And um, so indeed, in the past really several years, we've just been experiencing a ton of head, headcount growth. And so the focus of real estate you know, pre-pandemic was how can we build offices fast enough to be able to fit the headcount. And when the pandemic hit with all employees working from home in March, we had to pivot. And it wasn't so much about how do we build offices fast enough, but what are we going to use the office for? And so an example of how we started, um, we had to to make a change really was um, the new headquarters in Austin, the Indy Tower, which was already under construction um, when the pandemic hit and the, the core was already being built up. And Chris, you asked the really great point in question, which is what if we're wrong and what, what if we're designing and accepting essentially a design of an office um, today that might not really suit our needs five years out, 10 years out. And so that had us thinking about how can we bring, how can we continue this project while still baking in a level of flexibility into the, the infrastructure of it so that as employees start to return and we start to learn a little bit more about what makes sense for Indeed and for those employees, how can we then um, change the physical space in response to that? So um, can you talk about in in that research and in the surveys and studies and other things that you did, what were some of the assumptions that that you and the team have had throughout your career that that were challenged? Yeah, definitely. It, one of the um, one of the main assumptions, I think, as I mentioned, we try to create a a database or a knowledge of our employees. And in the past, it might have been a little bit um, maybe too generalized. We would have looked at it at a function level. And using Indeed as an example, we have our PTE, which is our product tech and engineering um, employee base. And we would have looked at them and say, okay, those employees typically need to come into the office. They do a lot of heads down work. They just need a quiet space to work. And we could create a, a space and an environment that suited that, that need. And what now is being challenged is that that's, that's too general. We need to look at it even further. We need to look at now that, that we have these hybrid um, we, we have these hybrid roles and those PT employees can opt to be in office flex or remote, what their needs and um, challenges and what they're going to need out of the office and home experience is going to it's going to vary. So we need to look at those. And then if you take it just another layer further in, for those PT and office employees, there may be those who return to the office and say, yes, I still want the quiet heads down space to work, but there may be others who get that at home. So they're going to be coming in because they want to socialize and meet other people outside of their functions. And so you can see that there's just so many layers and nuances that we're starting to see now that um, are really important. So we want to capture as much as we can of what, what is that broad spectrum of employee, the, the, the palette really of employees types. Um, and then create a solution that is just inclusive of, of really everyone and what they need. So I think one of the things that if you follow kind of the conversation that's been happening globally around this and all of the the, the pundits and the people who are weighing in on, on what's going to happen, a, a lot of the conversation has 
has shifted and maybe even come full circle over the last couple of years. Early on, there were all of these declarations that the office is dead. No one's ever going back into the office. Uh, now you see actually a lot of big companies are saying, nope, everyone needs to come back. It's going to be exactly like it was before. How how has your thinking kind of evolved during that time? And and did you at, at some point think, yeah, the office is dead. No one's coming in ever again. Yeah, personally, I don't I never thought that the office was completely going to go away. Um, I think even when we started to hear of all these big companies, there were the, the Slack, Twitter, Dropbox, they were all shifting to that remote first or the virtual first mentality, they called it, um, offering employees to be able to work from home. Even then, they were still holding on to their physical offices. So I think there was a good reason for that. They wanted to have that space available for employees to be able to go to. And I think for, um, you know, there's just something about that in-office experience or just that ability to connect with someone in person. I think that's what we all realized after being, you know, quarantined and during the pandemic and just that ability to go out and, and talk to people in person. There's just something about technology that hasn't, I think, reached the level yet where we're able to replicate it, um, where the majority of employees would be comfortable in that environment. And so I, I think that that definitely the office is not dead, but how the office is being occupied might change a little bit. And as an example, I'll say that I do anticipate a flux in attendance for our offices. And so Yes, there's going to be the Mondays and Fridays where some employees come in and they're, they look around and they're like, no one's here. It feels like a ghost town. Um, but I think that's OK. They're, that might be the best environment for those employees who want more, a more quieter space to work from versus the peak days where the stars will align and every single team will decide to have an onsite on that day for, for whatever reason. And it's, there's going to be a lot more friction, a lot more um, density. But that's where you get the energy and buzz and you start to meet and collaborate with people that you just typically don't don't. So I think we'll, we'll just see just a ton of flux in attendance um, over time and people will eventually calibrate and figure out what environment suits their needs. But um, I think they'll just have that optionality. So uh, that starts to drive to what I think is is really the existential question here, which is um, what is an office for? And And to be clear, we are. This conversation is around the industries where remote work is a possibility, where you can, in theory, get your job done from anywhere, and then you still have an office. Um, and that is, uh, as as we've talked about quite a bit, somewhere between 25 and 40% of the people. So the vast majority of people, this conversation doesn't really apply to. But for for industries like ours, where you can work, at home, you can work in a coffee shop, you can work in an Airbnb somewhere, or you can come into an office. You know, one of the things that we've seen, so um, there's some research that's come out of the uh, the team at Slack, where when they survey people, they hear pretty consistently from employees that they want to come into an office for connection. But when you survey management, they want people in an office for productivity purposes. And really what that means, I think, is to observe productivity because clearly there's productivity going on everywhere else. So back to this existential question, you know, what is the best use of these millions of square feet of space that that we and and other people have to contribute to well-being, happiness, productivity, all of these things? How how do you think about that? Yeah, definitely. And you you kind of mentioned it in the intro Chris, but that's the million dollar question that everyone's trying to figure out. What is the purpose of the office and, and Indeed's perspective, at least, um, especially in the real estate team, is that we don't know. 
And, and that's okay. We're allowing ourselves to play within those param- parameters. And that's why we're able to experiment and, and pilot things in pockets because we're trying to arrive at that um, conclusion, but we're not just hypothesizing about what could be the best ideal future model. And so we're, we're just allowing ourselves to test and go approach it just with an open-ended um, lens and not have any sort of, um, I, I think, preconceived like notions or expectations or things that we're, we're trying to get at, but just try to learn as much as possible. And so I think that's, that's the key distinction. We're, we're just, we don't know, to be honest, and we're, we're just waiting to see um, as employees start to come back. And it's going to be something that is a conversation. It's not something that we're going to be deciding that from, from real estate. We really want to hear from employees and get a sense of what makes sense for them. Okay, so let's let's get into that. We're we're in a um, in a realm that typically um, the the way that people have approached office space and architecture in general is not based on we don't know. Um, so you know, I, I studied architecture as as an undergraduate. There's definitely a lot of talk about uh, designing for the future. But it's usually not about designing for flexibility, adaptability, and unknowable circumstances. It's really around trying to do the research. But when you're working in concrete and steel, you do have to make some decisions. Now, indeed, innovation is a core value for us. And the kind of innovation that we think about when we're designing our products are really around designing experiments, using data, and use, and having that inform ongoing consistent change and adaptability and improvement. And so the the question that you asked around what if we're wrong led to, um, I think, some pretty amazing inspiration uh, from the workplace strategy and real estate teams around how we can use experimentation and innovation and data to guide some of our insights. And so can you talk a little bit about some of how you're actually doing that with uh, with real estate? Yeah, definitely. And so what the real estate um, team has done is that we've started this, essentially this program around experimentation where we are testing new ideas, new concepts in um, really globally and in, in our offices right now. And one of the the hardest challenges really was this idea of flexibility. And I'm talking about flexibility of the environment. And I'll use an analogy, Chris, that I've now heard you say a couple of times, there, this idea of hardware versus software, where hardware is something that know, it's it's essentially pretty static versus software that you can continue to upgrade and innovate and um, send out iterations. And the real estate or the office version of that, of the hardware is is that it's the the core and shell of a building, the hard walls that are constructed. And you're essentially committed to that type of space until the end of the lease, unless um, you, you, you know, take a a floor completely offline, you move employees out and you bring in a whole crew to demo the space and, and build up the halls, the walls again. So all of that takes a lot more um, effort and, and time to be able to have that flexibility. In the past, the, the software version of real estate is more things like the furniture, the technology, the decor even, that yes, you can make those changes at a faster rate. And so what we wanted to explore um, in relation to Indeed Tower and um, these pilots is how can we bring that flexibility now into the, the hardware side of things? And so what we are testing right now in both um, our Austin office and our Dublin office, these are slightly different um, ideas, but they essentially get at that. How can we bring bring flexibility to the hardware side of the office? And what that means for employees is that they'll be able to um, essentially go to an office that could potentially change 
the amount of enclosed spaces that we have, we could increase the number of conference rooms, decrease the number of phone rooms, and just have that flexibility and maybe potentially make that change you know, over a long weekend where in the past that was just not possible. That wasn't the case. And so we are testing some of these ideas um, around flexibility. So can you talk, so, and, and I think I, I have been using the, the hardware software analogy and, and just hearing you talk about it right now, I think actually what, what we're doing is not so much uh, bringing the same type of adaptability to hardware. It's sort of redefining what is hardware and software. Like walls are now becoming software in this configurability uh, kind of technologies that we're working with. And, and even furniture, I think we, I had always thought of furniture as hardware. We're gonna buy a bunch of desks, we're gonna buy a bunch of chairs, and that's what we have to work with. Sure, you could move them around, but where, can you can you talk a little bit, so, so we have these experiments going on in Dublin and Austin. Um, can you just actually explain to, to folks who, who might not still, what you're talking about sounds abstract, like, what what yeah. what what do, we, what do we have on the fourth floor of our domain office? If someone walks in, what do they encounter, and and how are we actually using that not just to uh, to try out a bunch of new products, but to actually learn what what is working for people? Yeah, definitely. So I'll speak to the um, I'll speak first to the domain um, office in Austin, and that we're testing there is whether it's hardware or software, it's um, different types of furniture or technology products that weren't part of our standard before at Indeed. And these are all things that are new to employees. And what we're asking employees to do is we've taken a, a half a floor in that office space and brought that the different products in. And we're asking employees to actually come and test it for themselves and give us feedback of what works and doesn't work. And all of that is going to help us inform, you know, what of our standards still makes sense and what of these new products that are out there is going to make sense at a larger scale for employees to be able to use and leverage it uh, in their offices. Um, for the flexibility, another pilot that we're using, um, that we're experimenting currently in our champion's office, also in Austin, that one's testing um, demountable partitions. And what I mean by that is this, um, it, they're different in the sense that they're not hard walls and they're these, these panels essentially that can be taken down and, and brought up and divide the space in a certain way and section it off so that, again, we have that flexibility. So. We don't have to commit to an office that has X, Y, and Z amount of conference room, but we have that ability to potentially change and bring down those walls, enlarge some conference rooms, make them smaller, um, where we didn't have that flexibility before. And the one in, in Dublin, um, now we're calling this product module, that one's also testing flexibility in a slightly different way. And without getting into the technical components of it, essentially, it's this kit of parts that we'll be able to bring into our offices and it's a combination of both enclosed spaces and just open you know phone booths or or, or open collaboration spaces that will be able to essentially um, sort of jigsaw within the office that employees have access to and again you can see how we're now offering more variety to those employees to be able to um, have a say in you know what really works for me is having an office that has access to a ton of phone rooms and can we have that um, versus just having to commit to some a design that's very rigid and structured from the beginning and not being able to make those changes until a few years out. To, to me, what's most exciting about this is, is I think that there's a number of, of implications that are, that are pretty radical in terms of how we think about um, just space in general. So, so one part of this is that getting back to this kind of hardware and software analogy, when we build new products in software, Oftentimes we build an initial version of something 
And we basically want to see, does this work before we start fleshing it out? So there's one approach with this, which is that we could use these modular and more flexible structures to figure out what do we need in this space and then later replace it with something more permanent. But the other thing that's really interesting is having something that actually has the ability to continually adapt over time. And the most important piece of that for me, getting back to, again, the software analogy, is that when we think about how Indeed has evolved over the last 15 years, our product, it started out as a really a single search engine that worked the same way for everyone. And we tried to build something that would work the best for everyone. But the the more we dig into really trying to produce better outcomes and help people get jobs, the experience is actually becomes personalized. And it's going to be different for someone who's looking for a job as a nurse and someone who's looking for a job as a software developer and different for you or for me based on our experiences. And so I also think there's this idea that we used to think of uh, an office as there was, you know, you talked about the product teams maybe being different than the sales teams, but by and large, we had a couple personas and that was pretty much it. And it might be, you know, that one of the more important things we discovered during the pandemic is that there there are different needs for different people, um, for them to be the most happy, the most most productive. Some people need quiet. Some people need interaction. Some people need a, a combination of those two. So, I guess your your team is focused on on data and research. Can you talk about how we're gathering data in these experiments and how that data is going to help us understand um, what we need to do to to basically create the best experience for different people with different preferences. Yeah, definitely. We knew um, when we were setting up this pilot program, this future of work program, that we had to be very intentional in how we set it up and actually create a, a very structured framework for us to be able to learn as much as possible. And we actually even tapped into our internal UX research team because there's a lot of parallels in the way that we approach these types of things. And we wanted to make sure that we understood, you know, how do we create a very clear hypothesis of what we're trying to test. How do we actually experiment? How do we collect that data? And so we built up um, this data collection framework, which is a combination of different tools and methods that we'll be using for each of these pilots. Um, And the goal of it is not to have a spreadsheet with a ton of numbers in it, but it's actually an opportunity for us to get employee feedback. So we want to hear from employees and we do that through things like surveys. We have interviews, focus groups, conversations, just creating a platform for employees to be able to give us some of that feedback as they're actually testing out the pilot spaces for themselves. Um, just to let us know, you know, we want to know whether their their feedback is part of the majority or not, whether they hate it or love it. Just capture all of that to be able to have that comprehensive understanding of our employee base so that we we know, you know, there's no not going to be one perfect solution or one perfect model of an office that's going to fit Everybody, there's going to be a lot of nuances. So we just want to dig at, at peeling back those layers and, and capturing all of that. So let's come back for a second to Indeed Tower. So Indeed Tower is is the new headquarters in downtown office. It's a it's a beautiful new 36-story uh, office building that we have the top 10 floors. It's going to be really a, a flagship office experience for us. The plan originally was from the delivery of the building to when we were expecting to move in was right now. So our original plan was we'd be moving in 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 essentially April of 2022. At the start of the pandemic, we decided to stop 
the construction plans that we had because of this question, what if we're, what if we're wrong? We took a year essentially to really rethink these things and then came back with this new set of ideas that really were designing for adaptability and flexibility. Now that we're back up and running, can you talk about how the plans for Indeed Tower have evolved and what we're doing to, because still we're going to learn a lot in the year between right now and when we open up in, in hopefully around April of 2023. And we also expect that we're going to need adaptability in the future. So what, what are we doing that's different in our plans for this, this new office? Yeah, definitely. And that was one of the hardest challenges really for any traditional con- construction of a build or of, of an office, the, the process, the way that it works is that you submit plans for a finalized test fit, which means the floor plans of an office. It has everything in it, baked, the number of conference rooms that you're going to have, the number of seats, the headcount, all of that is already designed and finalized. And then obviously there's a ton of time before the actual building is constructed and, and built up and, and the bricks are really laid down, the foundation. And so what we're trying to do with Indie Tower is that we we have to progress the, the project, we have to continue it, but how do we submit um, this sort of finalized version of an office when we still don't know what it looks like? And so one of the, the ways that we actually did it is that we submitted essentially a, a final plan or a test fit that was almost like a blank wall. We're starting with a blank canvas and submitting this to the city and this saying, you know, this is what this is what we're submitting. This is our future office, a workplace. Um, but we're we're building in a lot of um, flexibility to the infrastructure. And we're doing that through this, you know, testing out these things in pilots, um, the idea of the demontable partitions and the flexible walls, where we want to we test it out right now and actually learn from it to then be able to say, this makes sense as a recommendation for Indeed Tower. And this, we yes, we want to commit and build this type of flexibility of the walls. There's also a lot of work into the, um, and I won't be able to speak too well to it, but the the technology and the infrastructure and the power um, of what's being built in Indeed Tower so that whatever whatever it looks like, whether we have, you know, go back to our traditional row of desks or we actually bring in a ton of remote digital whiteboards or collaboration spaces into the space, everything's going to be able to plug in no matter where it is. And so that's the, the, we're just building um, essentially a blank canvas, but will allow us to be able to draw anything on top of it and bring anything on top of it, that's still going to be able to function and work. Um, and that in itself is essentially a, a very radical approach to um, a building of, a, of an office space that hasn't really been tested before, I think. Yeah. And so what's amazing about it really is the opportunity that that we had in the time. You know, the timing on the one hand seems terrible, like we were about to to start this thing and then suddenly we had to throw everything out. But the timing was fantastic, actually. If we if we had been another few months uh, along when the pandemic hit, we would have we would have had walls and power drops and networking designed from the start that would not be uh, really possible for to do any of the things that we're doing here. And so the 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 approach of well, sure you can have flexibility if you have a very different grid set up for where your power and networking goes. And so if you just design a grid where it's power and networking every X feet, then you really do have this blank canvas of, of where you want to drop things in. And so it is, it, it's a, it's a very, it's nerve wracking, but it's also, I think a really, really exciting time. So, um, so we are, uh, since March of 2020, we've had the entire company uh, basically working from home with all of our offices closed. And then we started opening up our offices at the end of, of last year. And as of now, 
all of our offices around the world are open. Starting in July, we're going to start asking uh, about 30% of our employees to start coming back into the office a couple of days a week. But we already have a lot of people who are coming in now um, and more and more each week. And so many people are uh, just, I think, really excited to actually be around other people and remember that we have these really beautiful offices and their spaces that we put a lot of thought into. Can you talk a little bit about as as more and more people are coming back now and then in July when when a, a, a big part of um, you know, our sales and CS teams will be coming back? What what should people expect? And and in particular, we have thousands of people who we've hired who uh, have never been to an Indeed office before. Um, and uh, and then we have all the people who've worked at offices, you know, for Indeed for years and are coming back and things will be different. So. How would you how would you kind of set the stage for what people can expect when they come back? Yeah, um, I would say for the most part, employees who are returning to offices who have obviously been there before, I think they can expect a very similar setup to what existed before. Yes, we are piloting and experimenting in pockets, but for the most part, um, our portfolio is, is pretty similar to what we had. Um, there obviously was an amazing site prep team that made sure that our offices did have were um, upgraded to meet all types of health and safety regulations. So there is there is that. But I, I think that um, employees, yes, they'll come back to the same space, but that's not to say that their experience is gonna be the same, what they're coming back to. A lot of these teams now are hybrid teams and how they all interact with each other and how they occupy the office space, that's all gonna be very different. We also have, like you said, a ton of new employees who have not experienced the office before coming in at the same time as those who have had come before and maybe had some sort of old traditional expectations of what the office is used for. So I think we're just going to see a lot of interesting dynamics of all of these different employee types returning to an office and how they're behaving and interacting with each other as a team. I think it's going to it's going to vary a little bit. But um, yeah, the physical space for the most part should be pretty similar. Yeah, I, I shared this story with you when we were talking last week. Um, I was in the office uh, a handful of weeks ago with Andrew Hudson, our chief technology officer, and we happened to both be there for meetings and we met and we we had we had lunch in the in the cafeteria and it was a little later so it was pretty empty and it was just the two of us but there was one person who was sitting at a table over and he looked over and just walked over and sat down next to us i, th- I think he might not have even known who we were uh, which was totally fine and we started talking and he was a new college grad and this was his first job and he was in the office for the first time. And, and as he said, he, this was his first time actually in an office. So not just his first time in an Indeed office, but he'd never been in an office before. And he said, you know, I don't really know. Is, is this a nice office? And we were, Andrew and I were both like, yeah, this is actually really quite a nice office. It's a, it's a good place to start your career. But it was really interesting to think about people who are just joining the workforce for the first time right now. And what their relationship to an office might be. I have two daughters who are 24 and 26 and they've been in the workforce for a little while, but it, whatever change we're going to be going through and people who are adapting to something new, it's going to be entirely different for uh, for a new group of, of, uh, of workers. And so um, I guess I'd, I'd love to hear from you, you know, what are you most excited about? When you, you know, there's, there's all this unknown, there's all this uncertainty, there's all this work that, w- that we have ahead of us. What, what are you excited about in, in the next couple of years? Yeah, I think I'm excited about um, just having employees return to the new normal to a certain degree. And whether that means that they're actually coming to our offices or still working from home, 
whatever that means just to just to see that happen, um, whether that's July or maybe it's going to take a couple years out. But um, I want to continue to just put on that researcher hat and really try to understand exactly how the office can adapt and how employees are actually coming in and whatever assumptions or hypotheses we might have right now, it actually might be completely different and employees come back and they're they're coming in for very specific reasons that we might have not even thought about. And so I, I kind of want to see all of that play out. And um, I think beyond that, just the amount of innovation that exists, not just within our Indeed ecosphere, but um, outside in the world, there's a ton of new products and technologies and softwares that I've just been seeing a lot more um, come out. And a lot of these companies saying, you know, we, we have the specific solution to this challenge that you're going to face in the future of work. And so just knowing that, all of that is happening out there and potentially being able to bring in some of those ideas internally and piloting those out, um, see if it makes sense for Indeed. And just overall, I think how how we work and how we interact with each other is just going to be changing a ton in the next couple of years in response to those those solutions that are out there. So just excited to see some of that play out. Yeah, it certainly feels like a great time to be in workplace strategy. Uh, the, the job... Uh, has always been essential, but for anyone that hadn't thought about it before, it should be pretty clear um, how how central to everything that that we're going to be doing in the future um, this work is. Well, at, as, yeah. as, as, as sorry, go ahead. No, I'll just say that uh, one of the the biggest struggles with workplace strategy, at least from my experience, is trying to convince a lot of either what when it was external, a lot of clients that yes, you can test new things out, and employees can still be productive and happy. And you can experiment, but that was always a conversation that we had to have. And what came out of the pandemic is that essentially all companies are like, we're just open. Let's just hear how we can experiment and how we can um, test new things. And so in a way, it, it just really opened up a lot of doors for, for people in our industry. Well, that's great. That's a, it's a good segue to, um, as we're coming to a, a close here, The I always ask the same question at the end, which is looking back over the last couple of years, with everything that has gone on, which has been extraordinarily difficult and challenging for, for everyone all over the world, what in that experience has left you with some optimism for the future? I think the um, just the amount of autonomy that em- as employees, we can just all look forward to. And um, I'll, I'll point out the this idea of the great resignation. There's been a ton of articles obviously come out of a lot of employees just leaving their companies and when, when you actually look at the reasons as to why they're leaving the company, it's actually really interesting um, if you dig into it a little bit deeper. It's, yes, there's the old old reasons of my company had a toxic culture, low pay, or I, I hated my manager. That, that still exists, but um, actually one of the main motivators for those people who are right now leaving during the pandemic is because they're seeking autonomy. And so they're looking for flexibility, work-life balance, um, a company that offers a really great culture or um, actually cares about their employees and their mental health. And so they're actually prioritizing um, these these characteristics and these qualifications sometimes over what whatever they're getting paid. And so they're 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 really seeking that out. And I think if that's forcing a lot of companies to look internally and reassess their model and change their policies to be able to attract that talent, I think obviously globally as a whole, I think employees can really look to benefit from it. And I will say that Indeed was is and was already well positioned for this. Um, it's very clear in what you've been communicated, what's been shared out there in the way that um, we've just, I think, handled uh, the, the pandemic and our policies that came out of it, that Indeed does care about our employees and um, it's, it's baked into our mission and our values. And just, I think as a whole, we just have a lot more to look forward to. 
Well, Yeji, thank you so much for joining me today and sharing just a little bit of all of the amazing work that you and your team have been leading in the last uh, couple of years. Um, and thank you for everything that you do for Indeed to help set us up for the future. And thanks for everything you do to help people get jobs. It was a pleasure. Thank you, Chris. Thank you.